0: KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFC FM Fresno, 97.5 K248 ABR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for cover to cover. Hello and welcome to another edition of Cover to Cover Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan and I'll be here with you for the next half hour speaking about film. Today I'm going to talk about four films and I'm going to do something that I think I have never done on the show, which is talk about three films that you can air online uh, or on your televisions if it, if it's hooked up to the internet. It's just such a such a a change both in my um Willingness to, I don't know, to accept the present, but also to, um, to realize that a lot of people don't go to the theater to see films. So today we're going to talk about three films that, uh, deal with cultural setting, historical context, and racism, both covert and overt. Two documentaries, Strong Island by Yance Ford, LA-92 by Dan Lindsay and T.J. Martin. A feature film by Dee Reese entitled Mudbound. And then we'll end the show with an interview with Greta Gerwig, who uh, directed the film Lady Bird, which is in a totally different context than the other films, but uh, a treat nonetheless. So why don't we start with Strong Island. Uh, it's directed by Yance Ford. And Yance, this is the thing that's most remarkable about this film, since there's many things that fall in, under the category of most remarkable, is that this is his very first film. He worked at POV, which is a, a show that airs on the PBS network of different documentaries. And this is his first film. It tells the story That is a very personal story. In April 1992, William Jr., who was the Ford's eldest child and Yance's brother, was a a 24-year-old teacher and he, who's African American, and he was killed by Mark Riley, who was a white 19-year-old mechanic. And although Ford was unarmed, ironically, and disgustingly, he became the prime suspect in his own murder. Now, this is a film that tells this story, but in a very unique and innovative way. It's searing, it's truthful, and it explores these issues in a way that I haven't really seen in a documentary before. It's incredibly inventive. Uh, so, Strong Island looks at the impact of this murder, not only on the way that the culture in 1992 in April dealt with this issue of this murder of this African-American young man in, in New York on Long Island, but also it is a chance to look at the dynamics that happened in the family as a result of this murder. Something that hadn't really been talked about by the different members of the family. There is the mother who uh, first was a teacher and then became a principal. And she is featured front and center in this film, Yance's mother. She is articulate. She is clear. She talks about both her faith and idea that her son's murder would be brought to justice initially, and then understanding and also seeing how racism got in the way of her son's justice ever being uh followed up on. And partly because what wound up happening is that there was a, a jury that got together that basically decided not to prosecute Mark Riley. And that is one of the questions that's being addressed in the film. Also interviewed in this film is Yance's sister who has never really talked to Yance and perhaps to the mother about what happened. She was a teenager, uh, when her brother was murdered, and there were so many issues that were present that never really got discussed. So this film is looking at it, so there's a conversation between Yance, and he does something remarkable himself, which is he puts himself front and center before the camera and talks about his experience, uh, talks about it from an experience of incredible truth and honesty. So there is a way where you think uh I don't know at one moment he says is this what happened and then he's like, no, this doesn't capture it exactly. And then he relives it, re-speaks it, and says it in such a way that uh, it's really amazing. I happened last week to attend a panel where Yance Ford was there talking about his film. And on the panel with him was Angela Davis and Danny Glover. And it was moderated by Bay Area, Bay Area filmmaker uh, Vivian Kleiman, uh, who Yance particularly chose for this role. And one of the questions that Vivian Kleiman asked Yance was, how did he do this interview where he is front and center? And he said that, uh, you know, there was about eight people on the crew, but he set it up in such a way that the camera lens came through, uh, but nobody, he couldn't see anybody. He just needed to speak the truth in a way of... uh, of going deep inside of himself and saying what happened. And the thing that makes this most unique is because this film does this, that you are really pulled into the story in a new way. Now, ironically, (laughs) that's such the wrong word for this, but this... This case where he was William Jr., Yance's brother, was murdered took place two weeks before the Rodney King verdict and Los Angeles exploding, not to mention places in the rest of the country. So there was a way where on one hand, uh, something needed to be galvanized about something that is a very old story, which is the way that African-Americans are violated uh, and that the court system not only does nothing to protect them, but actually betrays justice being served. So there was a failure of the legal system, and then there was a silence that defend, descended on the family. And this, Yant uh, says, was the, ultimately the silence that became the thing that protected everybody in the family from their own pain and with this film he opens this up so it is both a political film a personal film a film that looks at the family and a a film that looks at the dynamics both inside and outside what was going on politically in uh New York at the time. Strong Island is directed by Yance Ford, and it's playing on Netflix, so you can uh, screen this film whenever you would like. This sort of leads us into the second film, which is entitled L A Ninety Two. It's directed by Dan Lindsay and T J Martin. It's also a documentary uh, for um, all of you who are not sort of remembering that time well. Uh, that. Is, it's so interesting because it just segues right from the film of Strong Island. Uh, the film deals with the 1992 Los Angeles riots, also known as the Rodney King riots, or the South Central riots, um the Los Angeles civil disturbance, the 1992 Los Angeles civil unrest, um, all these different words for describing what was happening, which was basically the four police officers who systematically and cruelly beat Rodney King were uh, tried in Simi Valley, a white area outside of Los Angeles, and were all acquitted. And what happened since then was uh, a huge response on many levels. There were peaceful demonstrations, there was community organizing, and then there was also huge amounts of rage, particularly in South Central Los Angeles. And uh, there was 96 structures that were burned down. There was a lot of looting. There were people killed. It was a very intense time. And what Dan Lindsay and T.J. Martin do is something that I think is such a clever idea. They didn't shoot any new footage. They start in 1965 when there was yet another of these many situations where African-Americans were beaten, being beaten by police officers. And then they take everything that was recorded. So news stories, uh, footage from cameras, uh, everything that had been aired on television, and they edited it all together to tell the story in a new and fresh way. So it's a very unique documentary because, one, you think, wait a minute, time has not passed. The feelings and the sensations and the racism that was so present in 1992 is still incredibly present today. So this film is a remarkable thing because it also was produced for TV uh, by Na- National Geographic, of all choices. Um, so it is also available for streaming and is playing in a couple of theaters throughout the state, but none locally, as far as I know. So LA 92 is a very interesting documentary. Uh, So to go from these two documentaries that are dealing with this topic, I want to focus on Mudbound, which is directed by Dee Rees. this film had its initial screening at Sundance, where it received a standing ovation. Uh, Dee Reese made her first film, uh, Pariah, which was first a short and then made became a feature-length film. And uh, she's an African-American filmmaker based in Brooklyn, but she grew up in Tennessee. Pariah tells the story of a teenage girl who realizes that she's queer and lives in a fundamental religious Christian household. So as a result of living in this world, she doesn't know how to come out. She doesn't know how to stand up for herself and what will happen in her family if she does. And it was a remarkable film. So... Uh, Next, uh, she did a film on Bessie Smith, and then it was followed by Mudbound. Mudbound is a new film. It's being also pr- released through Netflix. It's based on the novel of the same name by Hillary Jordan, and it stars Carey Mulligan, Garrett Headland, Jason Clark, Jason Mitchell, and uh, Mary Blige. And the film depicts two World War II veterans, one white, one black, who return to rural Mississippi each to address racism and post-traumatic stress in their own way. It focuses on two different families and what happens between them. So the first is this white family that uh, basically go back to this farm that this man has bought. And he is somehow winds up getting tricked out of a hundred dollars which is a lot of money in the 1940s when this film is taking place and as a result you think oh he's going to take it out on the black sharecroppers who live on the land uh And indeed he does, but he also takes it out on them because there's such race disparity. So it tells the story of him and his relationship with the farm, Uh, his wife, who is named Laura, who is somebody who also chooses a very passive situation of moving from the city to the farm and lives in this way where she is just... Kind of a housekeeper, and loses all the power that she's had before. And then they live with their um, the grandfather, who is a Ku, Ku Klux Klan mother- member and really despicable. Separate from that is this very warm, wonderful. Um, but very struggling family, the Jacksons. They're African American tenant farmers. Florence is somebody who, who is the mother in that family and understands a lot about how to take care of, um, being midwife. And basically, Laura at the McAllen family, the white family, asked Florence to come to work for her. They have, there's two children who are involved. Ronsell, who is the African-American son of the Jacksons, who goes off to fight in World War II, and Jamie, the brother of Henry McMillan, who also goes off to fight. And then they come back. There they've been treated in a certain kind of way, and they come back into a world where their relationship is strained, and it tells a story of what happens, managing this Really difficult economic structure and what happens between them. It's a riveting film. It's powerful. It's dynamic. It's one of the best films I've seen this year. And it captures so much about the pressures and intensity that happens, uh, in the forties, which seems not so different than what happened in either the nineties or presently. So, a uh, really wonderful film, Mudbound, directed by Dee Reese. I want to switch now to another film that I thought was very interesting, which is the new film by Greta Gerwig, Lady Bird. Uh, Lady Bird is a coming-of-age story of a young girl in Sacramento and what happens to her in her life. Uh, Greta Gerwig was here quite a while ago for Frances Ha, where she both acted and uh, was one of the co-writers of the film. So in this film, she is not a... Starring in it, uh, starring in it is Searshan Ronan and Laurie Metcalf, uh, the daughter and the mother and the intensity that happens between them. But when I talked to Greta Gerwig when she was here for Frances Haas, she talked a lot about the elements that are really necessary for being an actor and switch that she has made from being just an actor to being an actor and writer. And now she's made this new switch, which is being actor, writer, um, director. And in this film, she's not, she's not the actor. So let's hear this clip from this film, uh, sorry, this interview with Greta Gerwig that I recorded uh, three years ago.
1: <sighs> I got it out. I got I got something out you know and I never I'd never really felt like that from acting before I'd never felt like thank god I got to I mean maybe a little bit with acting but it was it was like times 100 for this process and I think I really I'd like to keep moving in that direction because um I felt realized in a way that I'd never been realized before totally different thing I don't really have any ideas as a writer when I think about myself acting in it, so I have to almost write the character just as the character wants to be written and not write it for myself or think about myself doing it because it just, for some reason, it's limiting. It makes the character who I am instead of who the character wants to be, and I think once I start acting, I have to understand the text in a totally new way it doesn't translate into having a rosetta stone for the text because you wrote it because when you're writing something i mean there's parts of it that you understand and there's parts of it that that are mechanical sometimes you need a character to say something to get some piece of information out or move the plot along and then sometimes it's stuff that comes from some part of you that you didn't even know existed when you're writing. And then when you're acting, you have to make it all embodied and personalized and motivated. And it's... And as a writer, you maybe didn't know all those things, so you have to really reinvent all of that as an actor. But for some reason, when I'm writing things, I see things as very static. Like, I I, I almost hear these disembodied voices, and I, I hear the rhythms of it, but I don't... I don't f- I don't feel the physicality of it. And um, what I learned playing Frances was her clumsy grace and momentum became the way I understood her through the way she moves and the the speed with which she moves and the way she can have these sudden flares of anger. It was experiencing it all in my body that really changed the way I I heard or saw the text when I was just writing it, so it made it, um, it made it much more joyful actually than it looked on the page. On the page, it was there was a much bigger sadness to it because it, it again, it was just disembodied words, and as soon as it had a body to live in, it had a lot more. Hope, I think, than it did on the page. You know, I do. I, it, when you're acting, I think you try to stay away from results-oriented thinking because I think if you worry too much about what the audience experience is supposed to be, it takes you out of the experience that you're having. Meaning, like, if you want the audience to cry and what you do is cry, they're not going to cry. So you need to find what. I think Chekhov has a quote that says if you want your audiences to feel something write it colder. And I think there's something like you I feel the same way as an actor. And so we weren't I, I wasn't specifically thinking about like we want the audience to be here at this point. You know, it's so hard to talk about it as a tot- total performance because as an actor you live moment by moment and scene by scene and line by line. So I can only speak to the totality is what happens in editing. I can only speak about the moments. And I think um I think one of the nice things about that is if if you if you say the words exactly as written with the rhythm that it's supposed to be, it'll it, it's a, it'll save you a lot. It'll save because because the words have their own logic and and you don't have to push you can you can rest on the you can rest on the words when you need to um, relax into it as opposed to force it so i think this script like letting the script really come through you not feeling like you have to heavy lift the script i mean with bad scripts you do you have to you have to like your job as an actor it becomes how to make this text it's so clumsy and bad seem like it's good and um when you write it hopefully it's better than bad but th- that you can really rely on it that you can get out of the way and kind of let it come through you which is nice i mean it's a nice thing to be able to do as an actor is to not um, oversell the text but just let it happen so maybe that explains why you can do the 17 takes yes. because
0: you're relying on on the script as to act as an anchor.
1: Yes, oh, 100%. I mean, you can't I mean, there's no reason to do 100 takes or whatever if you don't have a script. I mean, then you're just running film to run film. But having a, a great script, you can really um it almost becomes this kind of meditative thing of um finding what's beyond the ideas. That was uh, an interview with
0: Greta Gerwig when she was in town for Frances Ha. Her new film, Lady Bird, which takes place in Sacramento, which is a romantic comedy and uh, very smart in its way of storytelling and allowing the uh, characters to come alive, is showing at Bay Area theaters. So uh, just a, a recap, at. Uh, that today I talked about a couple of films, uh, two films that are showing on Netflix, Strong Island, directed by Yance Ford about his family and dealing with the murder of his brother in April of 1992. And then Mudbound, directed by Dee Rees, uh, a wonderful film that is also playing on Netflix and is playing at the Opera Plaza Cinema in San Francisco. LA-92, which is... National Geographic release by Dan Lindsay and T.J. Martin and you can watch that uh, stream on internet as well and uh, we'll most likely get a regular release and then very briefly Greta Gerwig with her film Lady Bird which is uh, showing now at many Bay Area theaters. My name is Raina Cowan and this has been an edition of Frame to Frame Uh, you know there's no way to go out talking about such intense films without having music that kind of captures it and in and itself is really intense. So let's hear some John Coltrane. Thanks so much.
2: PFA listeners, new amendments to the Pacifica radio bylaws have been proposed and are available for review at the Pacifica Foundation website at www.pacifica.org, as well as the upcoming vote by the Pacifica board and delegates regarding these amendments to the Pacifica radio bylaws. That's all at Pacifica.org.
0: Listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB-FM Berkeley, California, 88.1 KFCF-FM Fresno, California, and 97.5 K248BRFM Santa Cruz, California, and worldwide online, it's KPFA.org. My, 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 worldwide. Isn't that something? Yes, you are listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and please stay tuned for Hard Knock Radio.